21 to 26. It's on your bulletins, or I'm sure it'll be up here, hopefully. Okay. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace, the redemption that comes by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, good morning. Thank you uh, once again for having me at your church. And I'd like to start by uh, thanking the town of Evans for uh, the work that you do once SUFM leaves, and especially this church. I know that it's uh, a year-long, after-year-long process of meeting people where they're at and uh, bringing the gospel to this town. And SUFM is only here 10 days a year. So I'm personally grateful. I, I'm always encouraged to see those who uh, take the gospel into the schools and to uh, faithfully minister in their workplaces and uh, beyond. And so... Um, yeah, I think it's fitting just to start by praying together, um, praying for this morning and praying for this town as well. So Lord God, thank you for your grace. Thank you that uh, you've given us Christ and you've given us such a great hope in him. Lord, although we fall short, uh, you've, given us, uh, you've given us a way to know you, a way to be friends with you and a way to spend everlasting life with you. Lord, I thank you for this town. I thank you for this church especially. I thank you for the people who faithfully give up their lives and their time to bring the gospel to others. And Lord, I pray that you strengthen this community, keep them close, uh, keep them unified under Christ, and may they be a light to this town that many might come to know you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so my name is Brendan. Uh, as I said before, I hail from Casino, uh, but now I've been living on the Gold Coast for the last seven years. And Beach Mission has a special place in my heart because I think that the opportunities are ripe. I think the opportunities are, are ever-present, and there's a great need in this town and in many towns for the gospel. Uh, this talk is on Romans 3, 21 to 26, that bit of passage, and there's a lot that can be said about this passage of Scripture, things to do with the law, things to do with grace, things to do with uh, Christ and big words that come up such as atonement and justification and propitiation and uh, many things that have given me headaches. Uh, I just want to start by introducing a new year and what often comes with a new year is resolutions. I make resolutions sometimes and I'm sure we all do. We've probably all received a text from a gym annoying text from a gym that's reminding us to come and sign up, or diet plans in our spam email inbox, diet plans saying, uh, 
hey, sign up to Jenny Craig or something else because we, on a whim, on January 1st, signed up and now it's January 5th and I have not even kept my resolution for this year. If you want to know what that is, then talk later. Um, The thing I think we can all feel is that with our own resolutions, we often don't keep them. We fall short of that standard. Uh, If we take this one step further, we can see that with others in the chaos of life and family and work and stress um, circumstances, we fall short of the expectations of others. It is impossible. I've learned one thing from three years of teaching. It is impossible to please everyone. We fall short of the expectations of others. And last but not least, and you can see where the trend is going, if we fall short of our own standards and we fall short of the standards of others, we most definitely fall short of the standards of a holy and righteous God. And here in his word, we can see that. Uh, Paul says in Romans 3.19, this is just a little bit before our passage, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be guilty before God. It is clear that we most definitely do not meet the standards of God. For God's standard is complete and utter righteousness and obedience to his good and holy law. You can almost see the intent of Paul's words here, that every mouth may be stopped. It's like this giant plug with an extra seal of missing the mark gets stuffed in our mouths and stops us from boasting before God that we can actually keep his standards. In summary of what I've just said, we are guilty unto ourselves We are guilty before others and before God, we are guilty. I've got two points for this sermon. Tried to narrow it down just to two. Two S's. The first S is standard. Little subclause, we all fall short of God's standard and deserve the wrath of God. And substitute. Jesus substituted himself in our place, justifying us before God. There are many things that can be said about God's standard, the law of God. And this passage does raise some big questions about it. We won't be answering all of them. There is a really helpful analogy. It's not my own analogy when it comes to the law. It's the analogy of a mirror. And if I be honest with you, I do not know often what I look like. You have a better idea of how I look. I don't see myself. Unfortunately, my close family do. And they see my face Often, it is only when I become before a mirror that I get a great surprise. My eyebrows. They give John Howard a run for his money. (laughs) My beard is patchier than I expected. I'm a post-pubescent fool. The law of God has a very similar effect to a mirror. The law is clean and perfect. The mirror we look at has no fault. It is spotless. The law is our mirror because we see the standard of righteousness and our inability to keep it. We see ourselves for who we truly are. How many of us would crave for a blurry mirror to hide our imperfections? 
Let's look quickly back at Romans 3.9 together. This is a little bit before our passage again. And it says, Both Jews and Greeks, that is everyone, are under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, no, not one. After outlining humanity's rejection of God, this was Travis's talk last week on the end of Romans 1, Paul goes on to say in chapter 3, verse 20, right before our passage, therefore, by the deeds of the law, and I paraphrase here, by works, by obedience to God's standard, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For the law, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. If I tell a lie, I would only know this to be a bad thing by the law of God. We've all heard this before. It's a moral absolute standard. That is the law. The law is a good thing because it gives us this standard. We see who God is. And we aren't just blobs fanging around the universe without any moral reference or compass. It's not the law that is the problem. It's our inability to keep it. As we come back to uh, Romans 3, 19 to 20, it shows us that we all are guilty before this God. And can we see that before God's holy and good standard, we miserably fall short? What power does the law have to save except to expose your miserable failure and my miserable failure before a holy God? I was at the beach just a few days ago. Uh, beach is a powerful place. I don't know why it is. But long walks on the beach often have a history of doing things to the soul. I was contemplating the first half of Romans 3.23 where it says, We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I felt a great sense of frightful awe. I stand before a holy God and this is the verdict he has given me. I fall short of his glory. It was like a great wall in my mind as I for a moment considered my state without Christ. We fall short. And have you ever felt the terror of that feeling? God has let us know in his word explicitly that we do not meet his standard. What utter foolishness it is to carry out believing that our goodness, our kindness, our charity, our purity... Our activism, our self-righteousness, our church attendance, our mission work, my uh, SUFM involvement, our general organization, our spiritual awareness, etc. It's foolishness to think that these things can make us right with God. God has given his verdict and it is not good. No one is exempt. Hear the words. There is no distinction. Verse 22. No distinction. We all fall short of God's standard and deserve the wrath of God. Some may say, myself included, wrath. What prehistoric language are you referring to? What God would be wrathful? What good God would judge people? God is a loving God who loves and accepts everyone. This is a double standard. What do we call a judge who lets a criminal run free without any sentence? We call them corrupt. 
We call them flawed. We call them unjust. Us fallen people have a sense of justice that wrongs must be made right. How much more will God, in His infinite goodness and righteousness, be bound by these things to judge anything that is less than good? Uh, In primary school, I used to love seeing how long I could look at the sun for. My parents found this out not long ago. I used to marvel at the fact that I could see black rings everywhere after I did it. I used to tell my friends, it was awesome. Look, I can do it for 10 seconds. Can I make a comparison? And sorry, John, I wrote this before I found out about everything that's going on. Uh, We usually take really good care of our eyes. We know that we are all only seconds or minutes away from complete blindness if we were to just look at the sun for long enough. I I don't beckon you to try it. Our eyes fall short of the glory of the sun and I believe God's word highlights our state in a more serious way. We are like the retina of the eye, helpless before a God whose light is greater than 10,000 suns. We have all sinned and fall short of God's glory and deserve his wrath. And I move on to uh, the second S, substitute, the most glorious news we have. Uh, At the beach, there's a thing called a rip, which I'm sure we're all aware of. Who remembers their first time ever being stuck in a rip? What is the human inclination? Human inclination, once you're in a rip, is to try and swim against it. Swim as hard as you can, for as long as you can. Like a rip, the harder we swim, our condemnation becomes more apparent. Our strength will never take us back to the shore. As we, uh, in our human inclination, swim, it's kind of like the perfect obedience to the law. We try and keep the standards of God and we're weakened, we're exposed, we're desperate, we're drowning. And this hand reaches down through the waves. From verse 21, says, but now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Christ stands above the water, the one who never fell into rebellion and obeyed the law completely. The current of condemnation that the law brings has no hold anymore on the one who puts their faith in Christ. Christ carries us to the shore on the merit of his righteousness. How can this be so? Look with me to verses 23 onwards. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. The blood of Christ the eternal Son of God, the perfect one crucified for us. Propitiation is a big word that just means the appeasing of wrath, that God's wrath has been taken and righteously put onto someone. It's been turned aside from us. 
It's this idea that God should righteously punish and pour out His wrath for our lawlessness, our offense to God, our sin. If you were doubtful, like myself, that falling short before the glory of God actually deserved His wrath against you, or for some reason that you saw it right to totally overlook verse 23 and jump straight into the great truths of verse 24, if that is you, let this text remind you of what it cost our God to justify you. But first, I want to rule out a few things that God hasn't done. God hasn't forgiven you because He's decided to magically forget about your sin. God hasn't written down words of tenderness towards us in the Bible only to never enter our world. And God has not pardoned anyone because they are good and have ticked the right boxes. What has God done? God here, in space-time history, real flesh, real blood, not some mystical idea. And as a side note on that, I think the words manifest and blood come up in our passage, and I think they're there for a reason. God's telling us that these aren't truths that are floating around in space somewhere. These are truths that hit us right here on planet Earth in the person of Christ. It's been manifest, and it's been real blood that has been spilled. God here at the cross of Christ gives His Son, and is called a phrase that doesn't explicitly appear anywhere else in the Bible. He is called the just and the justifier. Verse 26, Jesus Christ, who is the righteousness of God, manifest, verse 21, set forth by God, verse 25, takes the wrath, propitiates, verse 25, the wrath that should have been ours, in order, verse 26, to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Why then do I so often think, why do we so often think that our work is going to earn us favour with God? Why do I often think this? Count the amount of times our work earns us salvation in this passage. You will find more honest bankers in the Commonwealth Bank than instances of law-keeping earning us salvation. To stay true to my analogy... Christ was not only drowned in the current of condemnation, he took the tidal wave of our sin and God's wrath. On behalf of us, he took the judgment we deserved and on behalf of God, he fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. It's God's standard. He gave us the ability to be declared righteous apart from the law and what a beautiful truth that is. It's like the song, I can't remember the name. (laughs) Because the sinless Saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God, the just, is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. What emphasis we need to place on the believer being made right only through the redemption that is in Jesus. Substitution, that is, Christ taking our place speaks to our greatest need. It says, you cannot come to God through keeping the law or by your good works, no matter how great or consistent they may be. Christ followed the law fully and died in your place. Believe on Him 
and attain righteousness apart from the law. Believe in Christ and his work for you and you are declared righteous before God. Do we truly believe this? A couple of applications from uh, this passage of Scripture. And as I said, uh, just a little bit of a back, back tread on this one. Um, Romans is a fantastic book and it's been hard to wrestle with the law and uh, the Christian's relationship to the law in Christ. Um, and I've been grateful to God for giving me this passage to look through because it has been a great reminder of His grace and um, of our inability on our own merit to come before God. And that's my first application is remember the gospel. What pride I must have, and I so often do, to say to God, God, because of my sin, I'm going to wait before I come to you. Once I've sorted this out and have gone a few days being pure and righteous, then I'll start praying and trusting again. What pride we must have to say to God, God, I am unworthy before you and because I'm unworthy, I'm going to delay speaking to you. Why should I even come before you? Why should I repent? And I think that's the whole point of this passage, really. His gift is free and unmerited. We come humbly yet boldly before him because Christ has done it. Take it further. God is glorified in Christ when we take him at his word and believe and come to him. That brings him glory. God demonstrated at this present time his righteousness. Verse 26, he does all the work. He gets all the glory. We get immeasurable grace, justification before God. And as we see Romans unfold, this great letter of Paul, we receive countless blessings of the love of God beyond comprehension, sealed with the spirit of grace and power now at work in us. Hear the cry of the passage to put your faith in Jesus. Faith comes up multiple times. We fall short, Christ doesn't. We stumble in conversation, he convicts hearts. We put on church, he brings the people. We proclaim the gospel, he saves. We end up shifting our focus from focusing on ourselves to focusing on Christ. He never falls short. He is the righteousness where we fail. Application two, life and mission. Uh, I think I've changed this one a little bit. It was very relevant to uh, the SUFM team. I've made this one more to do for the, uh, the youth and the young among us, but I think it does apply to all of us. Maybe you find yourself swamped in a world of social media. How does this passage apply to you? Uh, we're probably in all of time used to a world of standards. One moment on the internet can teach us that you must look a certain way or act a certain way or have certain things, speak the right words. God is not an Instagram God. We're not meant to look perfect and have perfect things. God is not like Reddit or 4chan, they're just internet forums, where one thing you say or do wrong brings a lifetime of condemnation and misery. 
Can we truly say that the more time we spend on social media, the better we feel about ourselves? I'm not demonizing social media, but I'm asking you to consider where you find your worth and validation. You cannot meet God's standard, but God knew that and gave Jesus for you so that the fear of living up to his standard no longer exists. And you are invited to truly become a friend of the one who knows the love of God, a friend of God. It's amazing how he changes your desires from there on in. And the last application is worship. When we ponder the God who is both the just and the justifier, great, beautiful truths. You can't have one without the other. Otherwise, we do not have a holy and righteous God and we do not have a God who can save. The just and the justifier. He does not contradict himself. God does not contradict himself. God is perfectly just. He brings judgment on sin. But thanks be to Christ, because of his work, that judgment does not fall on us. It falls on him. We trust him in faith. We fall in response to worship. The saving work of God is a work of God. Praise God that he chose to love us with such great love that he would substitute Christ in our place so that we might be friends with God. As you see God, let that draw you to worship. He has done it. Come to God boldly. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the just and the justifier. Thank you that you've chosen in your goodness and your mercy to love us, never forsake us or leave us. In Christ, we have a sure and steady hope that, Lord, the judgment that we deserved was put onto him. Help us to believe afresh in the truth of your gospel. And, Lord, help us not to delay to come before your throne of grace. Allow us to come boldly, yet with humility, knowing that Christ has done it, that we fall short, but we have been justified freely by his grace. And God, may this great truth of the gospel, of the work of Christ, continue to have great impact in this town of Evans, so that many might come to know and trust him. And I pray this for his sake. Amen.